Hello and welcome to The Lawyer Podcast. I'm Catherine Griffiths, editor of The Lawyer. And I'm Christian Smith, litigation editor of The Lawyer. Rising costs, economic turmoil, technological investment. Just some of the factors dominating the legal market over the last 18 months, according to the lawyer's just released 2023 UK 200. The annual benchmark report on our UK legal channel, sponsored by Thomson Reuters, assesses the state of the UK's legal market, along with the performance of its largest 200 firms. And one of the report's key findings this year has been rising revenue, falling profits. Indeed, at nearly half of the top 100 firms in the UK last year, profits either fell or were flat. And profit at three out of four Magic Circle firms also declined. Now, falling profits at some of the country's most profitable businesses may not immediately cause you to lose a whole bunch of sleep. But profit is about much more than what partners pocket each month. So, to discuss this year's profit trends and what profits actually mean for law firms and their stakeholders, we're joined on this episode of The Lawyer Podcast by Horizon Editor Katie Dowell and Director of Insight and UK200 Guru, Matt Byrne. Hello. Hello. Before we come to Katie and Matt, though, I actually want to ask you a question, Kat. I think we should define from the outset what we mean by profit and what we mean by what we call PEP. Uh, the definition, actually, Christian, is really straightforward. Net profit is what is left in the pot uh, after paying salaries, all overheads, everything like that. The firm's paid all that just to distribute to the owners of the business, in other words, the equity partners. Um, and uh, profit per equity partner, or PEP, is a very, very simple calculation. It's that net profit divided by the number of equity partners. So if you see that uh, law firm X has a profit, has a PEP of a million, that does not mean that every single partner is on a million. It just means that that would be the average if you t- if you made that calculation. In fact, that profit, you know, the profit spread could be anything from 200 grand up to, you know, who knows, two, three, four million, depending on the firm. Um, so the definition of that is quite simple. But PEP itself has become sort of weirdly loaded as a metric. Um, <clears throat> people have been moaning about it for years. They said it's uh, it's sort of fueled destructive uh, sort of corporate behaviour because in the sort of the race to be have a higher PEP and therefore to have higher status, uh, firms are not fiddling accounts, not at all, but they're certainly manipulating the narrative around them to say, well, the PEP is a bit higher than than one might imagine. So there's an awful lot of um, criticism about it. And uh, I think a lot of the criticism has come from people saying, well, actually, it's not necessarily about the personal enrichment of the partners. Uh, law firms have a sort of a wider um, stake in, in business and so on. And so a focus on PEP is detrimental to a wider purpose of a law firm. And I'm sure yeah. we're going to, I'm sure we're going to unpack some of that and actually sort of alternative metrics. I think, Matt, I think well, you, yeah. you've got a lot to say about that. Well, I, if I can just jump in, because going back to Christian's question about you know, defining PEP, um, you know, it's, it's a measure of partner capital, but then you've got the the defining what is a partner in a law firm, because this is again feeds into this narrative of PEP is a discredited um, metric. Lots of firms now have lots of partners who are not 
sport equity partners. Mm. You know, that's the model. And it's been like that for a long time. But, you know, one of the things that characterizes the UK 200 now is the 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 myriad different models that you have in there, you know, whether it's limited companies or listed businesses or um, firms that have a very, very small number of equity, full equity partners, maybe a few fixed share equity or junior equity, and maybe some salary partners. They all have the partner name, you know, but they're not all full equity partners. Now, one of the one of the effects of having a very tiny group of full equity partners is that it can inflate PEP. And that's another reason why PEP as a benchmark um, can be discredited because, you know, firms can game it a little bit, de-equitize a few people, bosh, your PEP goes up, you know. But I think the point is PEP is is a benchmarking metric, but it's not the only benchmarking metric. And it is still, I think, a proxy for the quality of work a firm is doing. It's not perfect, but it's useful along with a number of others. Mm. And therefore, you know, with the quality of work, you know, as as I alluded to before, there's a huge status around it as well, because, you know, if you do have a high PEP, um, then it is automatically assumed that you are the sort of firm that, bills thousands of hours you know each lawyer will build thousands of build thousands of hours a year doing the highest possible sort of remunerated work uh, that you could do in the city so there is definitely a kind of you know what people assume goes with pep is a territory that involves very very high fees um and essentially an awful lot of elite status as well and it absolutely becomes part and parcel of the firm's marketing they know very yeah. clearly that it is part of their brand yeah. and it's part of their external message we are a firm <laughs> with you know a pep of million and you know to to pretend otherwise is a bit disingenuous but anyway it's a metric and it's it's one metric it's not the only metric and in many ways it it becomes one of these counterintuitive things doesn't it where where if you hear a firm has a high pip you you know the initial assumption might be that clients don't want to go there because they go oh i'm not going to get good value for money but actually the way it works is they often get the richest clients and the best clients because they want the prestige of going to a firm like that Mm. Yeah, well, it's not. It's it's cart before the horse to some extent, isn't it? It's um, or chicken and egg. You know, it's it's not that clients will go to a firm um, because they have a high pep. Clients will go to a firm that has a high pep because they are probably doing the top quality work and that is generating higher profit. And mm. and, and so that's the way it works. But I absolutely take your point that you would think on one level. Clients will go. Oh, hang on, you're you you're costing me a lot of money, so I'm going to go somewhere that may be a little bit more value for money. That's that's not the way this particular market works. The 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 absolute top firms um, do have the highest pep, and, and you know, unfortunately, that's the reality. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a market for which the phrase reassuringly expensive ought to have been invented. I mean, it is a, you know, one of the reasons what, you know, you see most GCs saying, oh, well, you know, I'd love to use insert here kind of smaller national firm. But, you know, at the end of the day, the board, if, you know, if there's a hostile takeover, you know, no one gets sort of gets in trouble for instructing, instructing Slaughter and May on this. Well, you know, we all know that Slaughter and May is not the sort of firm that you get in for a sort of a cheap date, as it were. So, um, so, you know, there, there is a lot. I, I think you, you use disingenuous, Matt. I think you're absolutely right. It's absurd. Um, the sort of posturing and the sort of belly aching that you hear from certain parts of the city on this issue. Yes, I suppose in much the same way as you might have a board asking asking their in-house lawyers, you know, why they spent so much on lawyers. You might also have them asking if something goes wrong with their lawyers. They go, well, why didn't you bring in better lawyers? 
you know, so it's a, it's a, a bit, it's a bit of that. I mean, pro- let's just take a step back and look at profit as well um, before we move on to to what's actually been going on in the UK two hundred this year. Because profit, we've been talking a lot about status and how much money that that lawyers take, uh, the partners take home rather. But it's it's more than that, really, isn't it? It's about resources. It's about scale. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, there's context is everything, isn't it? And context this year, I think, is a few things. Um, Kat mentioned it right at the beginning. There is less profit around. That's that's the main one. You know, if you've got 93 of the top 100 firms um, and their revenue increasing, around 40, nearly 50 have seen their profit go down. Now, a big part of that is because we're returned to sort of business as usual and costs are rising. We're in an inflationary environment and so on. But it really has also coincided with more demands for investment, particularly in technology, and then uniquely this year, um, demands for uh, accelerated tax payments, which I think is something we've uh, we've discussed before. Um, the upshot of this, um, the HMRC basis period thing, which we may talk about a bit later, is that firms need a stockpile of cash and, and not every firm has that at the moment. Um, so, again, profit and cash levels are becoming very much under the microscope this year. So, actually, could we just bring Katie here? I know, Katie, you've been speaking to a lot of managing partners and, um, you know, it it is a headache, isn't it, for them to keep that, you know, they ha- they are aware in the rear mirror of that pet. If that pet drops, you know, remarkably, it means that, again, we talked about status. It's it's harder to attract talent because people think, well, actually, is it a particularly well-run firm? Because pet can also be a marker of actual efficiency as well as, you know, as, as well as status and actually what you can get away with billing. Um, wh- what what is their take on it on this and the specific pressures that are on them at the moment with that with that particular metric and the sort of behaviour that, that engenders? I suppose what what people are telling me, and I mean we're talking over the last few years. I think when we saw saw the the boom in twenty twenty one, you know, um, a lot of managing partners in the mid tier then were warning equity partners that that the uh, rising pep couldn't last forever that they were going to have to make investments at, at some point so I, I suspect that that the fall in profitability this year isn't as hard as what as some partners might have prepared themselves for but nevertheless whether you're in the mid-tier or in a magic circle pet matters it matters you've already said about status but it matters in terms of recruitment if you're competing in a smaller market say you're in bristol and your pet is two hundred thousand under what the next door neighbors are and you're both competing for the same pool of talent but money matters to these associates at, at the moment they're, they're in a cost of living crisis as well and they're going to go to the one with the higher pet because it denotes more interesting work for them and it means that they have career longevity for them so i think it is a pressure i think it is a pressure for the managing partners i think they have to talk constantly about this and constantly about profitability and constantly about cash levels and and whip and how that affects um the pet getting money in the door is is really important to these firms so actually can i just unpack one of the things you said about associates in particular because there's a sort of a weird there's a weird sort of mix of um resentment and envy amongst well sort of certain certain associates anyway when they say well we're we're the engines of profit really for these firms we're billing sort of you know x number of times our salary etc we're working all the hours 
And yet, um, although we're not owners of the business and we don't have the same headaches as the partners, nevertheless, you know, the partners are on multiples of what of what we're earning. Um, and I, I think there's a sort of, you know, the sort of the gap between what associates are earning and what partners are earning is certainly grown over the last over the last few years and I think there's a sort of there's a difficult balancing act about keeping mm. keeping aspirational within a firm isn't there from what from what you you've been saying I, I believe so yeah I think that and I think it also speaks to what Matt was saying about um, de-equitizing of partners as well and moving people up and down the ladder I think that there is a it's it's uh, becoming a, a crunch moment if you're in management how do you explain that that difference between what an associate earns then q earns for instance or an associate and then the partner profits and and that also speaks to the cultural piece doesn't it as well keeping everybody on the same page so they are working together and knowing that with the advent of ai and everything that how that might change how lawyers work as well it's um, will will associates ever earn an equity partner earnings in the long term i don't know but at the moment, it's all about keeping the communication lines open mm-hmm. and making sure that everybody is moving in the right direction. Yeah. But balancing that scale is is not easy. It's interesting as well because yeah. I think you know when you're when when you're talking about that, I just wonder about average lifetime earnings are probably going to be higher for NQs and associates now than mm-hmm. actual par- par- partners as well. So I think there's a sort of and and certainly the sort of resentment on the client side is always almost always about nq salaries not about partner pep um you know they're furious about having to pay those salaries because they don't feel that they're getting value for money they understand that a partner may give them value for money on a particular kind of big big sort of issue so to some extent i think the nq salary is almost more toxic than the pep figure i agree with you actually and i think this idea of value is definitely something that i have been hearing a lot this year um for managing partners heads of whoever they're talking about how do you deliver the value in the lawyer to the client and Mm. i think that's a really interesting concept because it means different things to different people and yet we looking on the outside in i know we use other metrics and other people will use pep as that value moniker Mm. from the start I think it's also interesting as well because there's obviously a, a growing problem in the law of associates deciding that they don't want to go into the partnership because they don't yeah. necessarily like the look of that life for the rest of their life. So in some ways, and what you're saying, Katie, is that you're going to get uh, uh, associates looking at that PEP and, and the possible earnings they might have and seeing that as a motivation perhaps to pursue that life. And if all of a sudden you get rid of that PEP or, or you stop thinking about it in that way, the benefits of that life that people are increasingly going away from anyway start to fade even more. I think that's right. And I, that's the reason why we see firms put out PEP of 2 million and not 1.95 million, you know, it's, it makes, it gets the messaging right. And it shows that we, we are still open for partners and we still want you to move up the ladder with us. Mm. I think, mm-hmm. But I think there is, I mean, we've, I mean, at the lawyer, we've, you know there are any number of metrics i'd love to bring matt in here because um there are actually tons of other metrics that we we use on a regular basis and they're scattered all over the uk 200 report um but they haven't caught the imagination quite so much but they they are probably in a sense a fairer reflection of the kind of the level of remuneration um within particular law firms and i think we're talking about remuneration and the sort of the outcome here but also i know that we need to talk about the drivers of of um, you know, uh, profits at the moment and actually what's going to happen to margins. But Matt, could you sort of talk us through 
you know, what are the alternatives? If, if you know, if we do get rid of PEP as a metric, wh- what else is there that people can understand all of these various different things about benchmarks of quality and efficiency and all the rest of it? Well, there is a there is a distinct risk that I'm going to get very granular now, <laughs> but um, steady, steady. I'm going to get spreadsheets for all uh, the entire summer, but. Um, <laughs> Staying with, with, with partners then for a second, you know, we, for, for example, we have three different partner remuneration measures. We've got, you know, PEP and then we've got earnings per partner and that's a total uh, pay divided by the total number of partners. And then we've got effectively salaried partner remuneration. And, and what's interesting there is seeing the, the gap. It's like the pay gap. Uh, data only this is the partner gap data and you can see for example you can easily see a firm where a, a salaried partner is on 80 or 90 thousand pounds a year this is like a regional firm for example and the the equity partners are on say you know three quarters of a million so you have a really big spread there and then of course you've got the other metrics like revenue per lawyer is is the classic one and that's one of the things that i think managing partners really like to look at um but one of the things we did this year was, and it was kind of prompted by this cash crunch that I, I referred to earlier. It was a deep dive into firms' LLP accounts. So last year's, because obviously they haven't filed this year's accounts. But we looked at things like the proportion of profit to working capital, for example. Mm. And, and, and very particularly, we looked at uh, total members' capital. So individual partner capital is something we've never looked at in the UK before. But I think this year it's really, really relevant. And it's likely to be something we continue to look at um, because firms need cash. Mm. Um, And so those ratios between partner capital and you can look at PEP or working capital, they do offer clues as to the overall financial health of a business so so let me get granular for a second so one of the things we looked at was a bunch of firms a bunch of city firms and also a bunch of scottish firms now harper mcleod is an incredibly well-run firm financially it's lockup total lockup at the year end it's just about 77 days that's 31 days whip 46 days debtors and their their chief exec martin darrick he he is very clear about this that the ratio of profit to working capital is can be a red flag it could be if say if it's more if it's more than one to one it could be risky because it means that more than a year of profit is tied up in debtors and whip so theirs is theirs is less is it i think there's about 0.6 brodie's burness they were all around the 0.8 mark on that metric but definitely there will be other firms in the uk 200 where it's considerably longer now the, the the caveat to that is you've got to take the context again. You've got to take into context where a firm's in an investment cycle. What kind of firm is it? You know, it's it's not uh, possible just to look at one metric like that or like PEP and draw conclusions. Mm. But the, again, there are some interesting findings going back to partner capital and linked to the the basis period reform that I I mentioned earlier. Uh, There's been a couple of surveys, one was from HSBC, one by us, looking into firms' financial management and looking into the the likelihood of firms issuing capital calls, i.e. asking for more money from Mm -hmm. its partners. HSBC found that 
70 percent of the of the firms that they surveyed said they're going to need to pay significantly higher tax on their profits and how when asked how they're going to fund that 66 said from 66 percent said from existing internal cash reserves but about 27 percent said through increased partner capital contributions mm-hmm. and that's a similar sort of level that we found as well so in other words a lot of UK 200 firms right now are going to be going to their partners and asking for more cash. So so this is like the flip side of the, of the PEP equation. PEP is what you get. PEP is great. But you've actually, if you're an equity partner, you've got to put inject money into the business as well. And that's mm-hmm. something that I think we haven't looked at in great detail at the UK 200. But we're going to we're going to over the coming months and years, I think. Yeah, definitely. The sort of the profit capital um, relationship is really important. I think there's a there's a a really weird sort of willed passivity on the part of quite a lot of partners when they join a firm when they're promoted into looking really closely at, you know, sort of and benchmarking their own firms saying, well, actually, you know, how how healthy is it using all those metrics that you talked about, um, Matt? And in fact, you know, I would obviously commend the UK 200 report for these for these really, really interesting questions, because you can actually start to to wonder about how well some of them have been run and actually sort of what strategy is sort of uh, over the next sort of two two to three years, which are going to be real crunch times for quite Mm. a lot of these firms. And, you know, you look at a firm like Ince, which is now scattered to the four winds there's a whole bunch of partners there who clearly didn't look very closely at you know the finances of it and and trusted frankly in their management um and i think a sort of a healthy mistrust is probably kind of uh what, what's demanded here i think i think that's a wake-up call isn't it that's what that's what um one of the managing partners told me the other day is that ints and, and redundancies all of a sudden you've got partners knocking at the door mm. and asking about this stuff where Perhaps they're a bit less affair about it over the last few years. Yeah. Not, yeah. So, yeah, so, so those red flags. And as again, yeah. we're underlined, context is key. Every firm is different. But if you find a red flag on any particular metric, mm-hmm. in theory at least, you know, you might want to dig a bit more deeply. So if you know if you're a partner and you've been asked to stump up 150 grand into your firm, you might want to just just check it out a little bit. So just to bring it back to, to Pep, Pep as this kind of uh, metric that's sort of a slightly deformed metric, but actually still incredibly useful if you use it in, you know, with other metrics and ask the right questions. Um, earlier this sort of summer, Freshfield said that they were no longer going to be giving out their Pep figure um, over the course of, uh, you know, well, sort of in the near future, uh, which provoked howls of derision, I think, by most legal journalists. Um, and uh, and actually sort of, you know, some former um, Freshfields insiders as well. Um, I know what I think about that. Uh, I think we all know what each other think, but I'll leave it to Matt to say what you think <laughs> and, what, and what the lawyer's kind of position is on Freshfields trying to be less transparent in a world that demands transparency. Yeah, I think it's ludicrous, isn't it? And, um, you know, my sense is that they, they're very aware that they're not as profitable as uh, their American competitors. Mm-hmm. They know that in America, a lot of firms are not obliged to um, publish their financial results in the same way that UK firms are. And they've gone, sod that, I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, but it's, 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 um, 
it's crazy that the the rationale that they've given for, for it that um it, we want people to measure us on our quality of work doesn't doesn't hold water. we do that anyway you know mishcon have, have actually also taken a bit of a step away but at least they've got a a, a reasonably more plausible um rationale for it which is a big chunk of mishcon's work now and revenue does not come from legal mm. um, legal work from a law firm they've got a whole host of brands doing non-legal um um services and it's something like 25 percent of the business now is not a law firm so mm. on that basis they can at least make an argument that pep is not you know and, it, and it's generated by people who are not full equity partners yeah. it's not a meaningful metric Freshfields not so much i mean it is a hilarious irony that the most the market in which freshfields wants to succeed most of all the us is the most obsessed with pep the absolute mm. most obsessed with pep it's not the london market it's not london legal journalists it's american partners and american headhunters who who really weaponize this figure so the idea that freshfields think they're going to living in a world without pep is absolutely for the birds but we you know we can sit here and sort of laugh at them but i mean f frankly you know it didn't ring true no one believed it and it, it it felt like a bit of a cry for help actually well on that bagging of fresh fields i think that's a good place for us to leave it for this episode <laughs> of the lawyer podcast thank you very much for listening uh as always we'll be back again in a fortnight and you can read much more about what we've been saying in of course the uk 200 and on the lawyer.com website but until uh we see you in two weeks thanks very much for listening and goodbye Goodbye.